You're listening to Personal Rejection Letter, the podcast by Writers with Day Jobs. Dan Libman. And I'm Kelly Daniels. Welcome, everybody, to the podcast. Before we get into our uh, usual apologies and all that, I thought I'd start us off with a little question. A homily? No, a question. Okay. Similar to last time's, all right. whenever last time was. Are you ready for this, Dan? I'm ready. Is it, do I again not answer? You can answer this time. What is the site of where you, as a writer, were the most ecstatic, the most insecure, the drunkest, and most hungover. Furthermore, <laughs> where did you see the most writer friends you've ever seen before at one place while experiencing the most writerly envy? What was the site of that, all of those questions? Well, gee, just off the top of my head, I mean, I feel like it would have to be one of those conventions that all the writers go to where there's all that alcohol and all that bad feelings in the hallway. The AWP convention? Yes. It's not one of them. I guess um, that's the only one I can think of that's like that. There's other writers' conferences, but they tend to be like a couple hundred writers. AWP has 12,000 writers. Holy cow. 800 and something book fair participants. Yeah. It's a big conference. I've never been to MLA. What's the difference between MLA and AWP? MLA is academics. It's big and it's giant too. The only reason I went there is to apply for jobs. Yeah. And it's people doing, you know, talks on literary criticism. Okay. So it's just professor types and uh, AWP is writer types. Got it. And they're just real different groups, I think. Um, there was something cool about that happened at MLA the year that I went. I didn't experience it, but I read about it afterward. <laughs> a professor um, put a personal ad in basically looking for sex partners sure. through personal ads where you can, I guess, communicate with other people who are sort of into a bondage and, you know, whatever. I've that read kinda, that that is done. That's a thing that, people do. Well, this guy, this... Um, professor wanted somebody, to, a sexual partner or sexual partners to come and do a mock interview because MLA is where all the a academic interviews go. And the first round of interviewing takes place in the hotel room, which is <laughs> ripe for That's hot. all kinds of, yeah. yeah. Um, usually there's a whole bunch of people sitting in the, a room and sure. a couple of people are sitting on the bed and then you have some chairs and you come in in your suit, and it's super nerve-wracking. Oh, that is But hot. this professor wanted subjects to come in and knock on the door and, and pretend to do the whole interview, and then he would probably say something like, how badly do you want this job? And they, So anyway, he gets outed because of this ad, and he's all over Facebook and apologizing. And yet, by the time it came out, he already had like something like eight offers of partners. Sex partners or... Sex partners. Okay. No, he was the interviewer. He already had the job. I see. 
So um, we're getting off track a little bit. AWP, though, is about to come up. We're uh, recording this about a month ahead of its release, um, but um, we thought we would devote today's talk to a warm-up to AWP for all of uh, our listeners who are going to the conference. Welcome. And maybe a primer, not maybe, definitely a primer for those first-timers. For you young folks going to your first AWP. For, do you remember your first AWP? I do. Does it seem like yesterday? It, it it was a long time ago. It was it was only my I've only been to two. I'll be honest with you. This, only two. I've only been to two, yeah, and uh, they were both in Chicago. That's pretty good because they were easy for me to get to. Uh, Nobody pays for me to go to AWP. Where's yeah. it? Where's it uh, this year? This year it's in DC. Ah, um, a, a few years ago it was supposed to be in DC, and I was supposed to go, and I was even supposed to kind of sponsor a couple of students here who are mm-hmm. the Lit Mag people, and I got them. Sort of helped them organize a meeting that they were going to go to, so they actually had to function. And uh, that was a year where there was this incredible snowstorm, and uh, all the flights were canceled, like just hundreds and hundreds of flights throughout the country. And just the whole thing was ruined, so I didn't go. You so can I'm, imagine all the writers just thrilled to get this news, the ecstatic writers all across the country that AWP had now been canceled. Um, well, it wasn't canceled. Oh. The conference was canceled, wasn't canceled, but I think probably a fair percentage of people never made it. Um, so I've never even been to B- D.C., but I'm going this year. Really? Yep. Oh, you're going to like it. You know it's our nation's capital. I've heard. I've heard. Um, looking forward to it. It used to be a swamp, but they drained it very recently, so uh, I don't know what you're going to find there. That's a clever wordplay. Um, let's see. What are we talking about then? AWP. We are talking about uh, AWP. How many have you been to? You know, more than I can count off the top of my head. I see. I got into the gig where they where I actually have money to go, and so it's always uh-huh. a, an option. Um, I haven't been to, like, dozens or anything like that, and there's a lot of them that I skipped, and sometimes it makes me feel pretty bad going there, and I haven't always had a good time. And um, I remember recently in Minneapolis, I, like, I think I was on three different panel proposals. I didn't write any of them. I was just invited, and mm-hmm. all three of them got turned down. And I think the acceptance rate is like 40%, but that's pretty bad, like yeah. getting turned down by three of them. And so I was pissed off, just like it, took it personally. 40% um, seems pretty high. That's that's so most almost half get accepted. Yeah. And I there's little tricks that I've been taught. Um, I had proposals. Uh, accepted in both the ones that I went to. And I was told to sort of find a topic that resonated with the city where it was being held. So we had, I used Chicago topics both times and they were taken. Yeah. I, I think that works if you have a connection to Chicago and you can sell them on that. I got, I did a couple of different ones in LA when it was in LA. I wasn't able to sell myself as a Midwesterner. Um, I have a little bit of a memory of, uh, a proposal that you and I actually went in on, right, and was went shot down in flames, yep. and for Portland. <laughs> um, before we do that, though, we have some revision. Oh yeah, kind of uh, things to go through. Our normal feature. You know what I want for Christmas, Dan? I well, know it's too late. Well, there's always another Christmas. But I want, I want some like maybe sound effects for when we do our regular features. Oh, okay. Maybe a little musical thing. Or do you think that's cheesy? Uh, no, I like the idea. I think we need to jazz this up quite a bit. We're yeah. a work in progress, yeah. as, as our fans know. And thank you for all your letters and your <laughs> and your gifts. We had some Facebook comments. We did. 
And it's getting exciting. But, you know, the, the music that you hear at the beginning of the end of the show is a band called Subatlantic, made up of friends of ours. And uh, maybe they can write something for the a revision kind of a song. <laughs> or just a noise, like, I don't know, martinis shaking kind of oh, thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just like something that it's a cue that we're, that we're doing our regular feature. That's what all the other podcasts do. And there's another question. Do we want to be like all the other podcasts? And it may be that we don't. No. We could have the sound of paper crumbling since it's a revision segment. How would that be? Here. Ripping, maybe. Revision time. <laughs> I like it. That's great. All right. Um, you want to go first? Yeah, I guess so. Let's see. What do I want to revise? Uh, well, this is a tough one for me because I don't actually know when our last episode was mm -hmm. because here's what I'd like to revise my own kind of awareness and understanding of how we're going to record and release and organize these podcasts. Okay. I imagined that we were going to record them and that they would be live three or four days after we record them. And it would be a very simple process of once a week or once every two weeks we get together we do the recording. It's released a few days later. We're on a very tight, not tight, but right. just a schedule. Yeah. And that it doesn't, there's not a lot of leeway. But what's happening is we don't do any for a week or two, and then we do two in one day. And then we're, we're basically stockpiling them now as if, you know, a nuclear war might come and then we'll be out of them. And I think that's a wise idea. But I sort of wonder if something might be getting lost in that, when it, it may be a month or two or two months or three months before when we re between us recording something and, and releasing it. And the one we're doing today, we're releasing right before AWP. So it's actually going to skip ahead of several or at least a couple that we've already recorded. And so I actually don't know when the last one is. And I just didn't take the time to, um, just do the simple math and figure it out, which sure. would not have been hard to do at all. Yeah. But um, anyway, so that's kind of a more of a meta um, revision than any particular thing I said on the episode that I'm not even sure of what we're talking about. It's kind of a look on the inside of how we're doing personal rejection yeah. letters. What do you think? Do you think this is a good strategy? Stockpile and then release just... And not even really worried about the order in which we do it. It's like a story collection. You don't, yeah. you don't, you don't um, kind of put order them chronologically that no. you wrote them. You just you kind of come up with a strategic way you of you put putting your it Pulitzer Prize winner first, then your Pushcart, then your O. Henry, then you get the ones that you just published in the New Yorker but didn't get any notice or anything like that. That's the order that I put mine. Uh, well, I thought the last one was the one that you're really supposed to put your best one in. Your last uh, story. Yeah, the last in the whole. Yeah, the last, the last one in the book. Okay, yeah. Last story in the book is supposed to be the best one. Oh, I didn't know that. So anyway, I mean, I guess we're doing it the way we're doing it. And I'm thinking we might catch up a little bit more or we might always be ahead of the game. And um, so anyway. I think that this is interesting to the listener. I feel like it's sort of a build your own podcast and they're in on it. And I always like when the podcast people or really radio people or whatever take away the curtain and explain how they're doing or why they're doing what they're doing. So I hope that this is interesting. But I think that we will eventually catch up and that we will do it in the way that we're, you know, because like what if some big literary story happens that's happening all the time and then we can't address it because we're three podcasts back. Yeah. 
you know, like let's say somebody publishes a book and people read it, and we want to talk about that. But uh, the the what will happen is that we'll get to it. These are the days where we're still just figuring it out. This is the first sure. time that I think that we've faced each other. Usually I'm on Skype, yep. and then the other time that we were both in the studio, we're in the studio today, um, we were side by side. Normally when we're in a bar, we're side by side, so we're talking, but we're not really having to look at each other. And yeah. a lot of times we're on bicycles, so you're looking at my back, and I'm shouting back so that you can hear me, you know, catch up, catch up, that sort right. of thing. And uh, but this is the first time that I'm actually facing you while we're talking. I got that 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 was an insult, by the way. <laughs> just in case you thought that it it just went over my head. I had to buy a mirror so that I could yeah. see. <laughs> actually, Kelly's faster than I am. But I in am. any event, um, yeah. So I find it a little unnerving to actually be looking at you this entire time. You're more um, emotive in your facial expressions than I was expecting. Emotive, yeah, isn't that a word? Crying, yeah, <laughs> a lot of sadness. Yeah. Um, no, I think it's exciting that you're here. Yeah. But yeah, it is a little weird. It's like kind of like I want to see your Skype page. Right. Because. Now you missed that picture. I missed the picture <laughs> and I get to like do anything I want to it without it knowing. Right. And so. Uh, right, we appreciate that. Um, I know the last one we recorded was about the robots. Mm-hmm. And it'll probably come out after this one now. But the robots, the future, which makes a lot of sense that the robot episode is in the future. Still in the future. Whoa. Yeah. And, but I think that, you know. If you were a robot, I think you'd probably be more easy to deal with because uh, the emotive <laughs> thing wouldn't happen. No, you you don't care if you hurt the 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 uh, right robot's feelings. So the robot waiter on The Simpsons that wait actually I think it was a woman the waitress or the maid or whatever. Yeah, she didn't have a lot of facial expressions. I will give a, a re- very brief revision in that episode that you're going to hear in a couple weeks if you're still hanging on with us. I say to you, Kelly Daniels, that I've never used an Uber. And it was just kind of a quick way out of a conversation. But yeah. in fact, I have used an Uber. So Good. this really, really isn't – it doesn't make for a better story, so I'm not really revising it, but I'm trying to tell the truth. I was in therapy for many years, and at the end of every therapy session, I would tell the therapist all the lies I had told during therapy, of wow. which there were quite a few of. Wow. Because I'm trying to create you know, a sense of what my problems were, not actually – what if you're lying about lying, though? That was the problem. I tried not to, but of course, sometimes I did. Yeah. So I have used Uber, and it's it's great. I'm glad. I was worried about you. Yeah. Because I know you. I think of you as a city boy who mm-hmm. moved to the country. That is. But a- at the point at which you didn't ever ride it, Uber, I thought the city boy is gone. He's just <laughs> yeah. a cow. I was. I liked all the making fun of you about that. Not making fun of. I yeah. think admiring your cowboyness, and then the That's thing right. about the cowboys having narrow heads. That was. I know we're not supposed to talk about our favorite. That's part. in the future, anyway. That is in the future. You guys are in for a treat. So let's go on, on. to our uh, to our main topic. What I I guess I want to know about. I just want to hear about your stories about AWP. What is the high points? The low points? Um, what else? I wrote some stuff down. Uh, I love the book sale that they have in the basement of, or at least in Chicago, it was always in the basement. But that huge book sale was great. It's terrific to be in a room with that many books and that many small presses and that many yeah. people who are willing to uh, unload books for cheap. And if you can hang on till the last day, they they usually don't want to ship them back to their little small presses, so they're giving them away practically. Sometimes that's neat. Actually, that, isn't that also see? That's my. My least favorite part. Oh, tell me why. Well, that's the... Okay. First off, I go to the book fair. That's sort of where you just might see people you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just 
you know, rather than just hoping to find somebody in the hall, if you just don't have anywhere else to go, you go to the book fair. And it's just massive and it's huge. And that is where I get all the sense of envy. First off, it's a daytime thing and I'm not drunk yet. And so I'm hungover because those are the two states um, that I exist in. And um, so there's, that's a problem right there. And then, but it's also like, oh, Grey Wolf. And those, and there's often like the authors hanging around the each press where they're like, hey, I'll sign your book for you. And I just think I'm better than you. And, and it's just all the places I didn't get published. And then I go and I, to a place where I did get published and like Hotel America, which is a great journal. Hey, I'm, you published an issue before. Oh, wow. That's great. Yeah. So-and-so, the editor isn't here right now, but here's a, you know, that's... They're not interested in you. Well, and I'm not interested in them. It's just we're just strangers and, you know, and it's just kind of like... it. So it's anticlimactic even when I do feel like I have an in, Mm -hmm. but mostly I don't feel like I have an in. And so some of the real dark, maybe not real dark, but the moments of insecurity seem to happen at that place. Um... Although it is cool being around all those books, and it's true that I've gotten some good books and some free books. Also a little depressing, though, like all the literary journals that are trying to give away their copies. That you've never heard of and you'll never hear of again. And Yeah, and even the ones you have heard of, it's like, is anybody really going to read these? And the answer is no. You know, I mean, it, that, this is a pessimistic angle on this, but no, I just don't think anybody reads them. And, uh, you know, much less buys them. So well, part of the problem is that, and again, I've only been in the Chicago ones, but th- those kind of hotels where they have these conferences are just by nature depressing to begin with. The ceilings are low, the lights are artificial, they smell bad, everybody's <laughs> overtired. And so it's, it's just already starting out with, and plus they always do it in winter, I guess. Is that because it's cheaper to do a, what a big conference in the middle of winter when they can get a better rate on the hotel. I always assume that was the reason. No, there's no way that's the reason because it's not really that cheap. Well, everybody's supposed, I mean, they're teaching and they're, so what, what, why do it then? I don't know. Okay. Actually, but it's, um, they don't do it in summer. Right. Because nobody's, nobody would ever go to it. I mean, it's an academic conference. Right. So summer, everybody's off of their teaching. No, you do it while people are teaching because people get to skip a couple days of class. I guess. What about the worst part of your AWP experience? You know, there's a there's a level of uh, seriousness that uh, I just feel is undignified that the writers are taking. That. You know, the, the sort of the way that people are discussing writing and sort of the way people are talking about the publishing world and the way to get noticed and that sort of thing. I think it's undignified. I understand that you have to do it. And I understand that it's um, part of the experience. To me, it's just, it's uncomfortable. And and even really walking around the lobby and hearing people talk to each other. I don't like networking. I'm uncomfortable with it. it, I'm bad at it. It's not that I, if I were better at it, I would do it all the time and I'd be great. I'd be a much. I went to a, a chair, a program director meeting because. I was sort of the program director of my creative writing major here. So, so was, you had to go to the meeting? Well, yeah. I guess I thought I did. Mm-hmm. I thought I should. I was a new professor, an assistant professor, right. and had kind of tenure. And I was doing everything that I thought I should do. Um, and I went to this meeting, and somebody was talking about we should prepare students to, you know, 
to be more marketable in terms of jobs. Like if they get an MFA, they should, we should really make a, it was all about teaching. We mm -hmm. should really help them become better teachers and also help them get jobs as teachers by having some pedagogy classes and not just workshops. Yeah, yeah. And somebody stood up and goes, you know, we're not training teachers here. We are producing um, American literature in the next century. Oh my and God. this guy was absolutely serious. Yeah. And I just, I mean, there was a lot of, I don't know what the mood of overall in the place was to what he said. My reaction was, what a wanker, man. I mean, it was, and I think that a lot of other people felt that, but I also think some people felt sort of chastised by him. Here we are thinking about jobs when we have this like grand job of producing, like right. I, the idea that the teachers at MFAs are producing literature. I mean, I get it that it's a training program for future writers, but obviously literature was there before there was MFA degrees. and uh, But it wasn't as good. Right. It wasn't as tight. It probably wasn't. Yeah, no, there, there, it's sort of this idea that there's this noble calling. It, it just really, uh, when you have to face that room and you look around that room, everybody with their tote bags of free swag, and then you, you wonder who in this room is going to be able to rise to the challenge of this noble calling of producing the literature of the next century. It just sort of... Well, I think you're getting at something when it comes to how to how to have a good time at AWP and how not how to minimize the bad feelings about it and maximize the good feelings. Um, like you had a sense of awe at all those books and you get some free books and it's just kind of neat being around all these book nerds. For sure. Um, I think that really making it feel less important and making yourself less um, self-important is key to it um, and just kind of laugh a lot more and take yourself seriously a lot less and take other people ser seriously less um, is probably a good way to go. It's a party, and I think it should be seen that way. Um, I would also recommend not thinking that you're going to meet an editor, publisher, literary agent who's going to make you famous. Oh, God, yeah. Pretty sure that just doesn't happen. Like, you know, the it just won't, especially if you're looking for it. And the fact is that, it, it, you know, the fact that you heard about the one time when it did happen just goes to show you how rare that sort of thing is. Yeah. But well, people are always like, well, X got a book contract from her fan fiction for $25 million. Right. That's the one you know about. It's not going to happen again. and It's not happening yeah. over and over again. Yeah. And I think if you m meet somebody at AWP who helps you get published, it's probably because you were already there at that point in your career, you know, yeah. and um, they, because the publishers want something from you at least as much as, as you want. So, it's not super hard for me to get published in a really small literary journal now. The kind of thing that really would have been important to me several years ago, but yet was almost impossible. Now it's totally easy for me to get for the simple reason that it will do absolutely nothing for my career at all. Like it's just right. completely pointless, you know, except maybe it's just so I could have some, something to put on my bookshelf. And, um, so once you no longer need something, that's when you'll get it. So it's, um, it's those young, hungry writers that are killing AWP. It's, oh, I don't know. It's their I, attitude. That's... I'm not sure anything's killing it. I think that every individual needs to just go into it. And if you have a bad time, that's your thing. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> what about uh, 
What about advice? Do you have any advice for any youngsters? Going you said to... being more self-effacing. I, you know, uh, the only panel that I, I've, I've enjoyed the panels that I've been on, and the one that I really enjoyed the most was the forty four over forty. It was called. It was it was actually five writers who had had their first uh, book published after they were forty, and so that was it was sort of a joking panel, and um, I didn't expect it to do very well, but it they gave us a big room and it was packed, and and it was actually a really fun conversation. But part of it was that. Uh, we were all sort of poking fun at ourselves at how hungry we were for the publication to happen earlier. And um, at least the one that I wrote, it, we was speculated on how our lives would have been different mm -hmm. had that early success happened. And it was a fun panel. And it, it ended up being quite, um, I don't know if profound is the right word, but I mean, there was some really sort of um, uh, moments that, uh, I'll say profound, there were some profound moments that came out of it, not from my speech, but... Uh, and it was mostly because everybody at that point, maybe because we were all in our forties, but you know that we had uh, gone past the point where huge success, young, huge success, was gonna was out of the question yeah. already. So we were able to joke about it. Doesn't surprise me that it was well attended because it just tells you how many people over forty haven't had their first book and that want people really. The majority of people don't get famous at age twenty three. Sure. No, yeah, I mean, yeah. they just don't. And there's a sense that soon you're over the hill pretty early, even in writing, which is kind of silly since you should. So anytime you hear a story about somebody whose first book came out when they were 70, it makes everybody feel better. And right. either you've already published your book and you think, well, I'm ahead of that, or you haven't <laughs> yet. And you're yeah. like, well, I still have time. And yeah. so I think that's a good, a good way to do it. Um, my favorite time in was my first AWP I think maybe just because it was in mostly because it was in New Orleans oh sure um I drove there from Atlanta we rented a car me and a buddy and it was a good buddy a poet crazy poet with like a big red long beard like before beards were cool you sure. know like so you you already know he's like a certain kind of person listening to Johnny Cash on the way down so we get there and it was fun, and there was this running joke about this poet named Virgil Suarez. Mm -hmm. You ever heard of Virgil Suarez? No. Well, Virgil Suarez was appearing in every single literary magazine, like from the most obscure to the most to the most famous. Right. Like, I mean, he was just wrote so many poems, and it was clear he was just belting them out and sending them everywhere. And it was very successful strategy in a way. Um. And so it was just this joke we had about Virgil Suarez, and he was all over AWP, too, that year. And so we go there, and there's these rumors that start circulating. Hey, there's a party at Virgil Suarez's room. So we go, eventually. We thought we were in the know. And there's just probably upwards of a 1,000 people in the hall outside his room trying to get in. And finally, the hotel people kind of hustled up. Now, these New Orleans French Quarter hotel personnel they know how to handle this situation. I'll bet. Yeah. Oh, they so they were immediately, oh, everybody, the party has moved. And they moved <laughs> the party to the pool area. Yeah. And so it seemed like all of AWP became a personal party, yeah. Virgil Suarez's party at the pool. And you know what? It was damn fun. That sounds great. It was a lot, a lot of fun. And then just kind of walking out of the hotel and going to the French Quarter is amazing, too. So that was, was kind of a highlight for me. 
I wonder where where's the DC uh, AWP? Where's this year? Do you know where the hotel is? It's uh, there's a conference convention center so thing. Like not in the middle of anywhere. You're not going to be able to walk out of your hotel room and be in the middle of it. I don't think there's a French Quarter in DC. No, I've never heard of it. If that's case, I mean they're all <laughs> in big cities and they're all in you know a place where there's bars and stuff. I mean I don't think people that go to Chicago to party probably don't go to the Loop. You know no, what I mean? Sure. And so that's where the, all the hotels are. So it's not really in a in a great location. Um, and I don't know what the Washington D.C. thing is going to be. Well, I you know those are the I do I did enjoy my two AWPs overall, mostly because so many friends are there and hanging out. Uh, so that is something that uh, I don't want to be too negative about. Oh, nothing to be negative about at all, yeah. especially if somebody else is paying your way there. Um, Nobody was. I would say I'll just kind of go for a little list of, you know, stuff you should ways to make your AWP more fun is okay. don't feel guilty if you don't feel like going to panels. Right. You know, that you may find some that are really good. It's doubtful that anybody's going to give you the secret to becoming a better writer at mm -hmm. a 90 minute panel. You know, you're just not going to now if your friend's doing one or if somebody who you've always wanted to meet is doing one, go to it. Or if it's some teaching thing or some real specific thing about marketing maybe that you just want to learn that could be completely useful but don't have overly high expectations about what it's going to do for you or what you're going to learn and um you know go to the parties but also sort of i wrote this in a joking way when i kind of came up with what i wanted to say but i think it's kind of serious if you drink alcohol and if you socialize with alcohol really work to moderate it and don't peak too soon and i think that for a lot of people yeah. awp is this finally i get to get away i'm seeing all my friends from graduate school and they can really fall into like going too hard too fast with with the party kind of attitude um and so hydrate and i think um when it comes to that feeling of envy and th uh, that i think a lot of people feel because you're meeting people who are a lot more successful than you, no matter where you are in, on the spectrum. Um, maybe spend some time doing some writing. You know, you're there, you got this hotel room with a little desk, bring your laptop and give yourself the mornings that you're there. Do a good four hour writing session that'll wow. make you feel like you're, like you're not just wasting your life, you know, <laughs> and, and it'll make you feel like you can, you you deserve to go out and meet all your buddies and go to readings and go into readings. And you know what are good are the tribute ones because oh. nobody's trying to show off. They're not the, – the people that are giving the tribute aren't self-promoting, which most of the panels are self-promotion. Right. And they can be kind of annoying. Like the one about the guys that were already middle-aged when they published their first book, just self-promoting the whole time. And I heard that was good. It wasn't self-promoted. I <laughs> self-published and self-promoted. Yeah. Um, no, I didn't say self-published. I, I said self-promoting. How dare you? What good readings have you been to? When it's a tribute reading, what does that mean? It's they're they're picked a writer, and then a bunch of people are just reading from that person's work. Something like that. Yeah. So, I mean, they take different forms, but yeah, maybe it'll be somebody who just died, that kind of thing, or somebody who's getting pretty old, mm -hmm. and everybody's just appreciating that person. Right. And. I can't think of who anybody off the top of my head, but you could just think of all the, uh, and often they're not big writers, you know, AWP is not, you know, the mega stars of writing. These mm -hmm. are academics for the most part. And then there's so 
fame in the AWP world is different from fame outside of the AWP world. Right. Um, well, so who was the, like, and, and I remember seeing Marilyn Robinson at one of the AWPs, and I thought that was terrific. She was great. Um, Margaret Atwood, I've, she's been, it may have been the same one. Who have you seen that is really memorable to you? Uh, in New Orleans, um, Richard Ford was the keynote oh. speaker. I recommend going to the keynote, if nothing else, because usually the keynote speaker is a really seasoned kind of speaker right. because they've been semi-famous at least for a while, and they want to, they don't want to screw it up. Right. And so they put some effort into it, whereas some of the panels seem like the writers are doing it so that they could get funding from their university and they put very little effort into it and they don't expect much of a crowd and maybe they're just not that great at it anyway. And sometimes you can find a gym, but the keynote's pretty good. Richard Ford was good. I thought his talk, I still remember it pretty well. You know, he is dyslexic mm -hmm. and he actually talked about how being dyslexic was one of the kind of factors to him becoming an author because he had to it worked he had to work so hard to read that he got used to working and also to just going really really slow yeah. with the storytelling and and considering every every word rather than just jumping ahead yeah you can see that on the page it seemed he writes everything backwards i thought it was experimental at first and then uh -huh. oh i get it now yeah, he came to our workshop once when I was in grad school, and uh, he was very entertaining. I'll tell you a funny story. It, uh, uh, there was a fan that was attacked. Somebody hit one of those um, Frank Bascom books that just come out, the one where he was not the sports writer, but the second one. And somebody, mm -hmm. it, 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 there's like, have Independence you read that Day. One? It, was, uh, it was Independence Day. That was the big one. And in, he's a real estate agent in the beginning of it. In the mm -hmm. first 120 pages, he's trying to sell a house. Yeah. And somebody asked him in this big auditorium, you know, why did that go on for 120 pages? And he gives this kind of explanation. Well, here's what was happening and here's why I did it. And then um, the guy the guy didn't sit down. He said, yeah, but why did it go on for 120 pages? And then Richard Ford said, blah, 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 blah. And then the guy, again, says, why was that so long, that section? And Richard Ford finally just said, I was trying to dazzle you. <laughs> and that was it. Yeah. Words to live by. Try to dazzle, I guess. Or maybe make it shorter. He wouldn't have had to answer that question. I think he would have answered it. I would have guessed he'd have answered it more mean. He seems like a pretty confident guy. Yes. And he doesn't seem like he cares about offending some obnoxious person asking questions. He tried to answer it in different ways. Yeah. And then I will tell you this other thing is that in the workshop, one of the, one of the students, one of the women students brought him a cheesecake, a homemade cheesecake. And... Uh, uh, but the person had forgotten to bring any utensils, but Richard Ford had a knife on him, which he just pulled out of his pocket, opened it up, cut that cheesecake. Oh, yeah. Quite a moment. I thought he was going to do something else with it. He's prepared. <laughs> he did what he had to do. He cut that cheesecake. Oh, you could totally see him carrying a pocket knife around. Oh, yeah. Not like the little one with a with a corkscrew either. We're no, talking no. about the Bowie knife kind of thing. He's got a corkscrew, but it's, uh, it's a whole different corkscrew. <laughs> it's in another pocket. You know... What's on your notes? Pigs. Yeah. That's the shape. You're a cowboy. Yes, I am. Pigs have that, that tail. That shape. No, it's Oh, they're a genitalia. Also, I've read yeah. that. Yeah, I don't know if that's true. But I'm sure it I is true. I heard it's true. Yeah. If I heard it's true, it must be true. Look it up on the Wikipedia. I'm mm, not going to do that right now. Okay. If I start tapping on this. No, this computer is all like tuned. There's, it's one of those computers with two different monitors, and it's yeah. all like radio program stuff going on. Yeah, you don't want to touch it. 
new. We're gonna. I'm gonna post a picture of you looking at these screens, so our okay listeners will know what we're talking. About. Um, should we move on? Yes. Do you think we covered AWP enough to get I, people pumped? We'd like to hear your experiences, listeners. So uh, mm-hmm. how can they contact us and let us know? Personal rejection Facebook page there hasn't. We haven't really promoted that yet. There's nobody you can. You know, Dan Libman, Kelly Daniels, our personal Facebook pages. Mm-hmm. We're probably going to come up with a Twitter account or something someday. We, yeah, th- yes. There's different ways that you can comment. Um, You'll figure it out. I should probably also say that what I understand about this whole podcasting thing is is getting reviews on iTunes is the number one thing that either makes or breaks your... So I've we're going to have to start pandering and asking and begging for iTunes reviews um so we might as well start it now and so if you really like us the thing is nobody wants to write a review when they're listening to a podcast because you listen to it on a phone while you're like working out or driving so it takes a special effort to get to a computer screen log in to itunes you probably have to have a special account and so it takes some effort um but we'll ask you to make that effort the haters are going to do it so you guys have to go out and protect us Yes. Because you know Mark Maron's probably putting these false uh, bad reviews up against us to keep us down against him. I hated Mark Maron's podcast. I listened to it the other day. Yeah, which one? Um, w. Yeah, yeah, but who was the guest? Like, who was the oh, guest? it was Bruce Springsteen, but okay. I didn't even get to Springsteen. I felt like yeah. the veins were popping out of his forehead as he was shouting at me. Like, And right. I was just like, he wasn't funny. It, I just want people... To chill out a little bit when I'm listening to him while I'm on the treadmill. And he was not chill <laughs> right. at all. And I just, I actually was running around the track in the gym. It's freezing cold here. And so I'm not really that much of a runner, but I'm trying to, you know, the post New Year's Eve sure. sort of thing. And I just like stopped running and pulled my phone out of my little holster thing on my arm and just got his voice out of my head. It was just that annoying. Anyway. I'll defend him a little bit. I think that show's pretty good at times, but I don't listen to those first 10 minutes where he's just monologuing before the guest. I just skip right through. So just seemed like AM radio to me. He's like sports ESPN radio, but without anything to say. Mm-hmm. And those guys don't have that much to say, but they, they always have, well. They've they got do. the game to talk about. They do. But he's got a topic too. I mean, you, you, I, you know, this okay. maybe isn't the place, but uh, I'm not, uh, I'm not defending him personally. But I think the show is often worth listening to. We should probably yeah. get on to our final segment, Absolutely. which is known as "Hey Dan, what you writing? What you reading? Right what now I'm you teaching?" Uh, well, I'm teaching creative writing. I'm assuming right now. I know this is going to air in the future, but we haven't oh. started back to school yet. Um, what I'm working on is I started writing short sto- a couple of short stories about, as I mentioned in the previous podcast, that my father had died recently. And I haven't written uh, any short stories about it, but I've sort of started messing with some. And it kind of, I have a little bit of Charles Portis's voice in my head a little bit because I reread Dog of the South. I had loaned it to an yeah. uncle and uh, he had returned it. And then rather than just put it back on the shelf, I reread it. It, it goes down kind of smooth. And uh, I know It's a voice I always want in my head. Right. Right. Awesome. And I, I worry that, um, I, of course, I can't emulate it. And this is something that may be a topic for a future show. But um, anyway, I'm sort of taking a more of a lighthearted approach to it. And it, it's just, I don't know that anything will come of it, but it's fun to sort of be messing with short stories again. And these are short. I have like three, I have three, an idea for three stories. They're about five to seven pages each. I'm teaching creative writing too. When I get back from break, we're going to do, for my advanced fiction writing class, we're all doing my students are doing flash fictions on stage oh and 
the class is going to critique their performance. Wow. And not just their words. Why would I have them do this? Because I don't have to uh, prepare for a class before. <laughs> well, that's Are you true. comfortable putting that out there? Um, actually, the real reason is because um, our majors do a sort of public reading mm -hmm. as their final project, sort yeah. of um, as they graduate. And I noticed early on when we started doing that, that some of them are just incredibly not good at it or just not practiced at it. And they're too sure. shy to deal with it. And I thought, you know, part of being a creative writer is getting up onto a stage and reading now and then. For sure. And doing some kind of a public performance. And uh, so I just, I'm trying to make that part of the curriculum. Like, hey, mm -hmm. this is something you got to do. Let's practice a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's get over your nervousness and, or make it endearing. Because you can also be shy and goofy and nerdy. and What, what is a flash, flash fiction? I define it as kind of five pages or under. Oh, it's a slow flash. It's Or under. Like maybe a five-pager is kind of a long flash. Yeah. But the like a thousand words or less maybe. Okay. A, whatever. That's yeah. just kind of how I, okay. um, how I define it. Right. So anyway, that's going on. Um, the... Uh, I keep talking about this essay about the Republican ex-girlfriend. Yes. Well, the magazine now, we're at the final stages. Like all the galleys have been sort of um, – I stood up for myself about the changes they made. And I was oh, like more of a tough guy about it. Yeah. And I changed it all back. And I was totally expecting a fight. And I had all these arguments ready. Mm -hmm. And the editor got back to me. Oh, it sounds good. <laughs> and I realized – I could have done that every single time. Right. And they were probably expecting me to do it every time. And the fact that I didn't, they were just like, huh. This guy's a pushover. Yeah. Or just lazy. <laughs> like he doesn't want to actually read through it again. And um, But now they're asking me if I can contact her and tell her that, that the thing is being published and Ugh. give her a chance to. So now I'm like in this position of trying to stalk my ex-girlfriend online to find a way to get a hold of her. And I just don't want to do it. Right. I just don't, I don't like the idea of her reading it. I don't, but. What's the reason that, are they trying to ask cover? Are they, are they, do they want her response or they just want. Um, I think that's journalistic best practice. If you write about right. somebody. Then so she's going to get to respond. I don't think that if it's, if what you're writing is true or whatever. Like if in journalistic best practice is m more like you don't get to tell us we aren't going to. We don't get to publish it, and yeah. you don't get to like change it, mm -hmm. but you get to see it before like walking by a newsstand, looking over, and there's a story about you. I guess I so. think yeah. it's a courtesy thing, and you know if she has like a really serious problem with it and has some kind of backing, some kind of then I I sure it's a cover their ass thing, yeah, you know, yeah. like if really I made everything up and it right. turns out that I'm slandering her and all these ways and then she has all this proof that and she gets lawyers and all that i'm sure she, she could yeah. that could happen but yeah. i think it generally it's more just a courtesy like hey you know and, and and also keeps me honest i mean and i wasn't setting out to slam her or anything kind of one aspect of the writing life that i never really thought of like having to contact somebody you you've written about and anyway so fun stuff that'll be interesting to hear what she says and uh how they, how you go about it? I mean, maybe you could disguise your voice. I don't pretend know. You're somebody else. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure she's had a lot of. My name is Dan Kenyels for the, <laughs> from the Sun. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know if I can even get a hold of her very easily. It's, she's not very much online. So, um, so that's Good what luck. I've been up to. Yeah. yeah.
Um, Good problems to have, though. Yeah, I suppose so. And let's, as far as what I'm reading, maybe we can wait till next podcast for that. Yeah. Because, you know, I've been reading stuff, but I've already said enough. Sure you have. All right. So I guess that's it. We'll wrap it up. Yeah. God bless you, Kelly Daniels. God bless you and every one of us. God bless us all. Yeah. Is that Tiny Tim? I believe it is. Correct. Yeah. Charles Dickens. Yeah. Tiny. Oh, no. I was thinking of the musician Tiny Tim that plays with a ukulele. God bless us all. (laughs) Is he still alive? Probably not. I I bet he is. Really? Yeah. Let's not look it up, though. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Have fun at AWP. Yep. Everybody else. See ya. Bye-bye. Matt. Special thanks to Augustana College and Wog Radio. This program is produced by Gabe Tucker with funding from the Augustana College English Department and theme music by Sub Atlantic. You can reach us on Facebook at Personal Rejection Letter. See you next time.